Welcome, everyone, to Gettysburg Scene by Scene. I'm Chris Conforti. And I'm Jerry Murray. And today we're talking the second scene of the movie, which is probably the shortest scene in the movie. Do you want to lay it out for us? Sure. So it's real quick. We get a great looking map of Northern Virginia, Maryland, and the southern half of Pennsylvania. And over that map, we get the narration, beautiful voice of Morgan Shepard. And then as he is talking about the opening stages of the campaign, we see this long gray line parallel to this long blue line. And as he kind of goes over the opening stages of Lee using the Blue Ridge to screen his movements while um, the Union Army Potomac is kind of trailing him behind a little bit further to the east. We see that the Confederate gray line kind of pincers into these uh, three other areas while the um, uh, northern blue line kind of goes up pretty much as a solid uh, line until the end where it kind of spears out, which I think is referencing to the uh, wings that Meade is going to uh, create. In any case, this is a great way of just kind of giving the bearings for the audience that may not know exactly the proper context of this movie. Yeah, they do it pretty effectively, too. I think it's a I think it's a really good introduction, because if you're not familiar with the battle, you know, Morgan Shepard, again, it's a beautiful narration. You know, he kind of leads you into it. They, as you said, they, you know, they kind of show everything. So I feel like they did a really good job in something so short in letting you know exactly what's going to happen. So you have no knowledge of the battle. You know, you have no knowledge of the Civil War in general. I feel like they do a pretty good job of just kind of giving you that exposition into it. Yeah, and, they, and although it's a it's a pretty simplified version of what Lee's army is doing in Pennsylvania, it's it's enough for us to know what's at stake here. That bottom line, they want to destroy the Union army and perhaps force terms on the federal government. I mean, there's other reasons why Lee is in there too to relieve Vicksburg and to have some uh, ground that his army can forage and give some relief to Virginia. But we don't need to get all the specifics of that. For most of us who, or for most of the people that are getting into this movie, don't have as much of a eye for detail as some of the more important aspects of Wiley is there. This is enough for us to at least understand why this battle is going to be fought and why it is imperative that Lee's army is defeated here. And I think one of the hardest things when you bring somebody to Gettysburg and you try to talk to them about all of the stuff that precedes it. I feel like a lot of times it's really, really, really hard to do because your mind's kind of like going all over the place. And it's, you know, typically when I go, it's usually with someone that doesn't know a lot about the battle or about the civil war in general, they might've heard of the battle, but they don't really know a lot about it. You kind of talk yourself into sometimes like a 20, 25 minute explanation of things prior to Gettysburg. So for me, looking at the narration, looking at it with a, you know, a critical eye, um, historian as well as, you know, kind of like a filmmaker perspective, I think they did a really good job with it. Doesn't he have like what, one questionable line though? Like, isn't there like something about a, a letter which offers peace? Oh yeah, that's going to be placed on the desk of Abraham Lincoln the day after Lee destroys his army somewhere north of Washington. Yeah, that, that uh, that's an unfortunate line, but it, it does do one thing. It gives the audience a sense of immediacy. 
which if they're not familiar with this battle, they're, they're, they're not going to have like, you know, why should I care about this battle? Well, you know, in theory, at least in, especially in Southern folklore, this could have been the final battle of the war. At least that's what they're hoping. And that's what they kind of drill into us from the, from the Confederate perspective time and time again. Yeah. It, it ups the, the importance of the battle. So now, you know, from their perspective, even though that might not be the case or based on any kind of truthfulness again, you know, Michael Shard doesn't have to go by truthfulness when he's writing his, his novel, but it also does up the importance of what you're about to watch because now all of these characters that you're following mean that much more. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does a good job of stating to the audience that what Lee's doing here is looking for his decisive battle, his knockout blow. I mean, obviously, in his report, he says he doesn't want to give a pitched battle so far in the Northern Territory. He'd rather you know, defeat them in detail or maybe sit back and receive an attack. But at the very least, he is looking for some type of military victory north of the Potomac. So one thing that I dislike about that scene is how much of a solid mass the federal army looks. It almost looks like all the corps are concentrated in line, that they're moving up more or less on pace with Lee. And of course, most people that are familiar with the battle on our level know that the federal army was much more spread out. And then on June 28th, when Meade is given command, forced to take command of the Army of the Potomac, he goes to see Hooker, realizes that the Army is all spread out, and he's the one that really concentrates the Army before they begin to go north. But the map does do a good job of looking at the Federal Army in its three wings. And as we get into July 1st, we'll be talking about that first wing with Reynolds. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the errors that they have in the whole map scene is I believe they put the federal strength I think they say it's at 80,000 men but most estimates actually put that at 90,000 men and yeah I mean that's that's pretty much what this scene is I mean I really don't have too much this is going to be a pretty short episode I don't really have too much more to add to it I'm not sure if you have any do you have anything else that you'd like to add to it well, I'd say that it's probably a good idea that they didn't have uh, Stephen Lang do this because, as Kemper would say, he has a knack for trivializing the momentous and uh, what's the second part of that line? Complicating the obvious. The obvious. Yeah. Great line. One of my favorite Kemper lines in that movie. Oh, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure. I think, in fact, the next episode, we're going to start doing uh, epic one-liners. Oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. That's going to be something. Because this movie is absolutely filled with the most epic one-liners maybe maybe ever because i feel like i called this movie maybe but i it's gonna be a weird transition there's three movies i quote a lot one of them is tombstone which also came out in 93 also starred like three people that were in gettysburg and the other one um is gettysburg and the other one's uh child's play three i know we're going way off the reservoir on that one yeah that one's kind of the black horse of those three <laughs> I'm all over the place. I watch all the, all these movies, but all three of these movies are are so quotable. And the line you just referred to is 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 super quotable. I feel like almost every Kemper line is like quotable. Yeah, I, I mean, whatever we think of the uh, actor who was cast to play that role, not looking like the actual historical figure, uh, he's got some good lines, and he delivers them. Everything he's got. So, I mean, I do I do enjoy quoting Kemper whenever I can. Yeah, and, and Royce Applegate does yeah. a tremendous job. So again, we're we're talking about that historical, you know, 
likeness. We're not definitely not taking away from the actor's ability in it because I no, don't certainly not no. bad actors in the movie. There's really not so, maybe nothing. a couple of the extras. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. I coming from as many movies as I've seen, we're gonna get into the extras. Yeah, uh, another another good one from Kemper. So exactly how many relatives are there who are apes, George? <laughs> he's got so many good quotes; it's not even funny. But I mean, of course, um, I mean Buford. He's like a one-line machine. We're gonna get into Harrison. He's like a one a one-line machine. Buckland might have the best line in the whole movie. Oh, the uh, they ain't smart enough to pour uh, pee out of a boot with instructions written under the heel. Yeah, that might be like my favorite zinger. Yeah, that's a good one. Ever that one's a a super good one. But thank you guys for for listening to our second episode of Gettysburg Scene by Scene. I'm your co-host Chris Conforti. I'm Jerry Murray, and we'll see you. For-